Yesterday, I was uh, taking my day off like I told you I do uh, now, and uh, I was watching uh, Monsters Inside Me, you know, our series, the show. (laughs) That is a creepy show, isn't it? In fact, if you want to be depressed, watch that, and you will probably uh, be depressed when it's over. But this kid caught raccoon roundworm. Have you ever heard of that? Josh has had it twice since I've been here. Hopefully not. Raccoon roundworm, it sounds funny, but it was terrible. This kid somehow got infected with some parts of a raccoon, and it was devastating uh, what it did to him on the inside. Well, we're not going to talk about uh, those things this morning, thank goodness, but we are going to talk about the monsters of anxiety and stress and depression. Our passage this morning, if you have your Bible, is 1 Kings 19, 1 Kings 19. If you don't have a Bible, the Scriptures will be on the screen, so it'll be readily available for you. But let's begin with this. Who is vulnerable to anxiety and depression? Who, who, is, uh, who is vulnerable to uh, these monsters? And let me just kind of give you a simple definition of these things. Depression, you, you could get on the internet and Google depression and you get all kinds of things because there's clinical depressions where a person is almost uh, just can't do anything. Uh, there is, uh, you're just down or you have the blues because things didn't work out well or uh, you're a Cowboys fan, you know, the Broncos did, not the Packers won last week. Wasn't that awesome? And, uh, and are you, you know you just there, there's and then there's bipolar depression there's different lots of different kinds of depression but I think everything we're going to talk about in here I, I think it, it applies to your situation you may need a lot of other help too but I think it applies and anxiety we talk about anxiety anxiety is one of those things that's hard to define but it's real easy to know if you struggle with it someone said it's a distress or an uneasiness of your mind it's a it's an apprehension in your body and in your spirit that a lot of times you can't even define it or explain it it's an uneasiness someone said anxiety is worry on steroids and I think that may be a good way of understanding it Several weeks ago, I met with some of our doctors in our church, and we talked about anxiety and depression, and it was very interesting to me, and, and this, you need to hear this, that they said these two, these two monsters almost always show up together. They're almost co- co-joined. They're, they're like ugly Siamese twins. You know what a Siamese twin is? They're, they're, their body's connected. That, that when you find one, you find the other. Now, a lot of times I think men, we don't recognize the depression, but you feel the anxiety, and maybe with women it's the other way around. But, but these, uh, these are ugly twins that are often found together. Who is susceptible? Well, in 1 Kings 19, verse 3 and 4, It says, Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree. Now, pay attention here. He sat down under it, and he prayed. Now, he's a prophet. Shouldn't he pray before he goes to sleep? Wouldn't you think that's good? Listen to the prayer he prayed. Uh, he, he He prayed, Lord, I've had enough. Take my life. Amen. I was talking to Brandon about this prayer this week, and Brandon said this is kind of suicide by God. You know, you may have heard suicide by a cop where a person wants to die, so they go out and do something crazy, uh, hoping the cops will shoot them, or suicide by a car where a person gets in a car and just drives down the wrong side of the interstate 200 miles an hour, and eventually something happens. 
This guy right here had some real struggles going on on the inside, didn't he? When you're praying and you're asking God to kill you, amen, I'm going to sleep. There's something going on. Now, who was this guy? This was some feminine preacher, sissy, probably got his nails done, you know, and all that. No, this was Elijah, and we're going to see more in a moment. Elijah was far from being feminine and far from being a sissy. He was a man's man. He was a tough guy, and he was so godly. Listen to this. This guy was is so in touch with God. He had such a relationship with God. When he died, I mean, when he left this earth, he didn't even die. He was walking along, and a chariot came down from heaven and picked him up and took him to heaven. How many of you have seen that before? Please don't raise your hand, and we're going to know you're doing drugs. You have never seen that before. Because that doesn't happen. That's how in tune with God this guy was. He didn't die. God just came down and got him. But yet he was at a point in his life where he, by all practical purposes, means he was suicidal. Everyone in here has got enough history since to know who Abraham Lincoln was. Abraham Lincoln is arguably one of the greatest presidents in our country's history. But he struggled terribly most of his life with depression and anxiety. In fact, at one point, Lincoln said, I feel like I am the most miserable man in the world, and I don't know if I can ever get out of this. Winston Churchill was the great World War II leader. In fact, some historians would say that he helped save England, and not only England, but Europe, because of his strength of character and leadership. But he struggled mightily with depression And in fact, he said, I feel like it's sometimes that this dragon of depression is going to slay me before all is said and done. Now, I am not trying to downplay you at all this morning, but I'm not sure anybody here spiritually is on the level of Elijah. I'm not saying you're not a great Christian, but that's a pretty high mark. I'm not sure any of us here are more accomplished, at least at this point in our life, than Churchill and Lincoln and I'm not sure any of us are any more of a man, a man than any of those three. But they readily admitted that they struggled with these demons. So I want to, I want to encourage you to grasp that these things can come on you. I said this last week. I really believe this sermon series hits all of us in one of several ways. One, we've either been through this, we're going through this, or we will go through this. Or we're helping some, we've helped someone through it, we're helping them right now, or we will help. I think a very important key is understanding that you are vulnerable. And even when we look this Sunday and next Sunday at some of the things that cause depression and anxiety, to be able to say and not blow this off, but to say this might be what tips me the wrong way. So here is a solution today that I think is very important. Never forget you're vulnerable. Never forget your vulnerability. That's simple, but that's called staying humble, staying smart. In 1 Corinthians 10, 12, listen to this beautiful verse, powerful verse. So if you think you're standing firm, in other words, if you think that you can't stumble and fall, and there's a broad application to this verse, be careful that you don't fall. Another interesting thing in talking with our doctors and with some counselors a few weeks ago is that they all agreed that depression and anxiety are hitting people at a younger age. I don't remember as a kid hearing about a lot of kids that were really struggling with depression or anxiety, but doctors are telling us and counselors that that's starting at little bitty ages. 
We know teenagers struggle with it, absolutely. The highest suicide rate in our country is middle-aged men, men in their 50s. Older people, nursing homes terribly struggle with this. And everybody in between, college students. So understanding you're vulnerable is a great place to stay to keep you humble and dependent on God for sure. Now let's look at this. Let's look at some, some common vulnerabilities and solutions. Let's look at some things that happen that can, can cause these monsters to flare up in your life and my life and, and how we can be aware of it and what we can do about it. When did these things happen? Well, let me, let me start with this. They happen during or after the rough times in life. Now, this should be common sense, but it's so easy to miss in your life. When does depression and stress and anxiety jump on us? Often during the rough times in life. Verse 1 through 4, it says, Ahab, now Ahab is the king, he told Jezebel. Jezebel was this sweet Christian lady. That's very sarcastic. This was a really bad chick. Everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, now listen to this, this is actually a curse formula that she's saying in the form of a threat. It is a formal curse formula. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make you like your life like the one of them. He had just killed, and we'll talk about this in a moment, 450 of her prophets. Elijah was afraid. You can't blame him for a little fear there. And he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there while he went himself a little way into the desert. He came to a broom tree. It's a desert shrub that probably could provide enough shade that he got under. And he prayed this infamous prayer, God, I've had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. His life's threatened. Hey, guys, this just wasn't somebody talking smack. This was a woman that would fulfill her word if she would have got her hands on him and could have. This was a very real threat to his life. And he runs as far south as he can. And, man, he, is, he implodes when he finally gets to that broom tree, shrub tree. He's obviously depressed. He's full of anxiety. And stress is just packed him down. Now, it's common sense, it should be, that when life is hard and there's constant stress and times are rough, that you are going to experience some of that stress and anxiety and depression. I I talked to some friends in other states this week that just hit some really hard bumps in their life. And one of the things that I'm praying for them and tried to share with them is, look, over the next few weeks and months, you are going to have some down times. That just happens when someone you love dies, when a relationship ends that you didn't want it to end. Maybe you wanted it to end, but there's still that emotional pull there that's tough. When a job situation doesn't work out, when your finances collapse, it, it's normal to understand or you need to understand that normal people are going to feel a little dive in their spirit when that happens. Mike Holmgren was a great football coach. He coached the Packers and the Seahawks. And Super Bowl 32 in 1998, they, his Packers got beat by the Broncos. It was a very close ball game. They got beat late in the ball game. 
And for several weeks after that, Holmgren didn't want to go to the office. He wasn't talking to people. He wasn't, didn't, you know, he just didn't want to function like he normally did. He has a doctor, I mean, his a, a daughter who is a medical doctor. And so he was talking to her about it. And she said, Daddy, you're depressed. You just lost one of the biggest games of your life. It's okay that you don't feel chipper at this time. How do we handle this? I, I, I think one is you expect it. You expect it when the bottom falls out. And you don't let it swamp you. That you stay close to God. You don't want to stay close to God when everything falls apart. That's more important that you stay close to God. Maybe that's when you need to see a counselor, even for a little while. Or you need to see your doc, medical doctor. But when things fall apart, it's normal that your emotions and your psychological makeup is going to take a little bit of a dive. Now, here's a second thing that's much sneakier. We're vulnerable after the great times in life. Common sense says you're going to be sad when you, someone you love is no longer around. But let me explain to you what was happening in chapter 18, before we get to this suicidal, depressed, anxiety narrative. I wish we had time to read it this morning, but we don't. Here's what happened in chapter 18. Ahab is evil, and he's leading the people very poorly. And God is, God is the Old Testament term, King James, he's smiting them at this time. And so Elijah prays, listen to this, Elijah prays that it won't rain and it does not rain for three and a half years. Here's a lesson. You ever bump into Elijah, don't get him mad at you. Amen. Three and a half years, it doesn't rain. Then Elijah and the prophets of Baal, those are the prophets of Jezebel. And the Baal is a fertility god, a false god uh, of, of this land. It's, it's wicked. They practice child sacrifice. It, they, part of their worship was sexual orgies. I mean, it was a wicked thing. And so they meet up on Mount Carmel. And they're going to have a showdown to see if the God is the real God or if the Baal gods are the real gods. So they have a little contest. They put some wood over here and they say they're going to see whose God will strike that and light that wood. And the, the false gods, 450, pray and scream and cry and cut themselves for hours and nothing happens. Elijah says, hey, go, go throw water all over the wood. In fact, put water all around that wood. And then he prays to God, and God sends lightning down, and boom, it consumes that. And then they have a physical showdown, and Elijah and his guys kill those 450 evil prophets. And you go, wow. Murdering 450 people, these were evil people. God had given them time to repent. This is a terrible thing, I, I know, but to understand, these were child murderers. These were wicked people. And then Elijah prays, and it rains again. How many of you think that was a Super Bowl for Elijah spiritually? Come on. Do you think that was a victory? I mean, isn't that a, I, I, man, it was a great victory. He was super excited. Now, he gets a little depressed when Jezebel decides to kill him. But it's ironic how he went from an ultimate high to a graveyard crash in a short period of time. And I want to tell you, part of that is just the normal ways of life. 
You go, you, you mean after good times we can expect to be depressed and stressed? Absolutely. Olympic athletes, there's actually a syndrome called post-Olympic depression. And, of course, if an Olympian goes to the, to, to, uh, to the event and does terrible, they're going to be sad. But even what they found out is that Olympic athletes in the Winter Olympics or the Summer Olympics who even win medals when it's all over several months later oftentimes struggle with depression. Women have babies. Uh, there's a depression called postpartum depression. Now, I know some of that is certainly hormonal and, and biological, but isn't it strange that, that oftentimes what a woman's wanted her whole life, a child, and then they have that, and, and then they're depressed afterwards? This doesn't compare to the baby or, or, or Elijah's, but, you know, for years I would preach, and I would go home on Sunday night, and I would be a little bit down. Now, that's normal if you preach, and there's four people here, and three of them are mad at you. You should go home depressed, amen? But even after a good Sunday, going home and, you know, preaching a couple of times and going home Sunday night and just feeling a little bit down, and I, I never could put my finger on that, and I read a book by a guy named Dr. Archibald Hart called The Anxiety Cure. And Dr. Hart talks about after the great times, after we graduate college, after we get a victory, after we do something that's special, that we've been full of adrenaline. We've been pumped up. We've been excited. And then all that just kind of deflates because you can't maintain that. And that it's normal to feel some depression and sadness after a high event. Here's the best way that helped me is just to understand that's part of the gig. Not to get too upset about it, not to let it stay there too long, but, but to roll with it. A lot of what we're talking about, understanding where these things come from and when they pop up is a key to them helping you. Now let's talk about this. Let's talk about another thing, when, another vulnerability, and that's when we get depleted. That's when we get depleted. And we're going to look at two aspects of, of depletion. But certainly this would go with, with the rough times. I mean, these all go, can all go together. But I want you to see what happens here to Elijah. One is physical depletion. A physical depletion. Remember, your, your body and your mind and, and all are all connected together. I mean, they're, they're not separate. I'm not going to read verse 3 and 4 again. Well, I I will this time. It says, Elijah was afraid, ran for his life when he came to Beersheba uh, in Judah. He left his servant there. He himself went a day's journey to the desert, came to a broom tree, sat down and prayed that he might die. We don't know for sure, but here's physically what was going on with him. He had this great high, this great victory. Then he gets this death threat, which... turns up his adrenaline too, and he's, he's afraid. Then he probably travels about 100 miles quickly on foot. And then he, he, he goes one day into the desert by himself on foot with very little supplies. And then he lays down under this tree, and he asks God to kill him. Folks, when we get physically depleted, when you go seven days a week for a week on end, oh, I know you're different. You, you can do it. No, you, you weren't built to do that. I don't need a vacation. You don't take a vacation. 
when you don't take care of yourself physically, what you're eating, you don't work out, you, you don't pay attention to what the doctor tells you, it's not only going to affect you physically, but it's going to affect you emotionally. It, it's going to eventually smoke you. Why are we seeing kids with more depression and anxiety? I, part of mine, our belief is that we've we got them going all the time. I mean, we're going to play spring ball, summer ball, fall ball, in-between ball. And I love ball, by the way. And we got school, and they actually make them do homework today. Isn't that terrible? And then we wonder why, why our kids are getting more depressed and anxious. And adults, again, he goes, you can't go seven days a week. Oh, I can. No, you can't. Yeah, I mean, yeah you can for a while. And just let, me, just let me go ahead and warn you, the longer you push yourself, the longer it's going to take you to recover if you mess up. What's the solution? If you get physically depleted, eventually it's going to ruin your, your, your mind and your spirit. Verse 5 through 8 are so neat. They're so God. Elijah laid down under the tree and fell asleep, and God didn't kill him. Isn't that good? All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up. And read your Bible and pray for two hours. That's not what he said. He said, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank, and he lay down. Again, the angel came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. He ate and he drank, he strengthened by the food. Then he traveled, and he, we'll see next week, he went on another little adventure. Wow, isn't this interesting? What, what God told this depressed, anxious, stressed out, physically depleted prophet to do, he didn't say, go memorize your, your Old Testament. He didn't say, go and, 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 you know, redo some of the books you're writing in the Bible or work you're doing. He said, man, you need to rest, and you need to eat properly. When I first heard this passage, it was in a sermon over 30 years ago. I was a young Christian, and a guy preached it. And I'm sure he didn't mean this how I took it, so you don't take it how I took it originally. He said, if you're down, you need to go home, and you need to eat, and you need to sleep, and you'll feel better. So, I don't know. It was a Sunday afternoon. I guess my team was in the fall. Maybe my team had lost on Saturday, and the sky was a little cloudy, so I felt a little gloomy. So, I went home to my mom's house, and she had made a Mississippi mud cake. How many of you know what that is? How many of you ladies can cook those? March the 24th is, uh, is my birthday, so keep that in mind. I'm convinced part of my view of heaven is, is that will be there with no calories. Isn't that awesome? Uh, and so I went home, literally, I did. I said, okay, the preacher said go home and eat and stuff and you'll feel better. So I got like a half a wedge of Mississippi mud cake and some ice cream and I ate it. And then I thought, you know, if one piece is good, two is always better. Amen. And so after about three days of that and not noticing my mood lift and my pants getting tighter, I realized I'd misunderstood what he was saying. Here's what God is saying in that passage. God's saying that your body and, and your physical and psychological makeup go together. And, and when you're run down, whether you're a teenager, whether you're a child, whether you're a senior adult, 
whether you're a 40 or 50-year-old here today and you're in good shape, you get depleted physically. You work too long. You work too much. You run yourself down. Some of the most spiritual things you can do besides staying close to Christ is you need, you need to get your sleep back in order. You may need to see your doctor. You need to rest. We're going to look next week. God gets Elijah up and moving again. You need to exercise. You need to do some of those things that may not seem so spiritual, but are exactly the things that God had Elijah to do. And you've got to rest. You've got to rest. You've got to take your day off. You've got to take your time off. You were not built to work seven days a week, okay? Unless the ox is in the ditch is what the Bible said. Now, here's the second part of depletion, and that's emotional depletion. I talked to you last week about I didn't understand the word emotional except that was happy or mad. I, didn't, I thought girls had emotions and guys just had to deal with the girls' emotions. But men have, and there's truth to that, but men have emotions too. In verse 3, it says Elijah was afraid. That literally means he was terrified. I mean, buddy, his adrenaline shot up. He, his fight or flight went into mode and he didn't want to fight her and he hit the road. He hit the road moving. What is emotional depletion? That's just being drained on the inside. That's when, certainly you could feel this with physical depletion. You may or may not, though. It's just when, when you've just, you need to be apart because you are falling apart. Again, I've heard psychologists explain it, how that, that our ancestors needed real good fight-or-flight instincts because 5,000 years ago, if you're walking home and a saber-toothed tiger jumps out, you better be able to run or fight on a dime, correct? And we don't have that quite as much today where we need to fight or flight. But what happens when you start getting stressed out and you start being uh, anxious and you start being a little bit depressed, oftentimes that fight or flight switch in you is turned on and you don't turn it off. And not only will it drain you emotionally, but it just drains you, I mean, physically, it drains you emotionally. Sharon Kilcorn is a, a lady in our church, a, a wonderful lady and a counselor. And she said a lot of people she sees are struggling with compassion fatigue. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's somebody caring for a friend or a, a child caring for a, an elderly parent. Maybe you're a coach or a teacher or a counselor. And that you've just given and given and given so much to other people that eventually you just don't have anything else to give. This is, this is really sadly interesting. In 2014, I saw this week the list of the, the, the top five professions, suicide rates. And, and in, the, in the top four were doctors, dentists, and vets. And we have all three in our church and I got to thinking about that, and it's got to be, a lot of that's compassion fatigue. That a doctor, a dentist, and a vet are working with people who have serious problems. And I imagine sometimes those people aren't real nice to you or real understanding. And you give and you give and you give, and you don't have anything else to give. How do you deal with emotional fatigue? Well, parents, you pull back on your kids a little bit. You let them be kids. They don't have to be perfect. They don't always have to hit a home run. I don't know when you should start counting scores and winning in ball games, maybe in junior high or high school, but what does it really matter when they're young if everybody gets to play and your team loses? Amen. 
obviously you disagree, but uh, uh, I, I understand when you get older that, uh, that, the, that the stakes are different. But you emotionally drain your kids when you expect them to be perfect and you don't give them grace and you don't give them much latitude. And, and see, some of you are doing that to yourself. You, you hold yourself to the standard that you have to be perfect you can't make a mistake that other people, you're hearing their problems and their pains, and that's great that you're a caring person. But, but if you don't learn how to, to give that to God and not care it yourself, it, it'll, it'll suck the life out of you. What do you do with emotional fatigue? Again, you've got to get rest. Maybe, students, you take a semester off or you take some time off. Maybe your, your, your kid doesn't have to play every sport. Or if they don't play much when they do, it, it really is okay because maybe you weren't very good either. You just don't remember. You decide in your life that you're going to let God help you carry those burdens. You feel that emotional, I just don't have anything else to give. That's a good time to start talking to God and other people a lot, a counselor or a doctor. But if it can happen to Elijah, my goodness, it can happen to you and it can happen to me. I want to tell you one story as we wrap it up. Martin Luther was, was a great, great Christian leader in the 1500s. In fact, we owe a lot of who we are today to Martin Luther. You ever notice when the preacher says he's wrapping it up, the excitement level, y'all aren't depressed anymore. It's like Some preachers say we're wrapping it up, and that means there's 30 minutes left to go, though. You ever heard that? Martin Luther struggled with terrible depression. Terrible depression. And he was going through a lengthy period of it, and his wife was at her wit's end. She didn't know what to do. She couldn't help him. He didn't seem to be getting better. So she went upstairs, and she put on her black funeral dress. And she came down, and she began walking around the house with her funeral dress on, and his, his head's on the table, He's just looking down. Finally, he looks up, and he says, who died? She just casually said, God, and kept walking around the house. He's a preacher. He's a theologian. He said, God, God hadn't died. And she just looked back at him and gently said, then quit acting like it. Well, folks, I want to tell you, Everything we're talking about in these weeks. I told you last week, I believe in good Christian counseling. I believe in senior medical doctor. But God is the foundation and the end and everything in between. No matter where you are or where you'll be with depression and stress and anxiety, you've got to put your hand in God's hand and keep it there because God is alive And he's never going to leave you. Let's pray. If you're a Christian this morning, man, I challenge you. I challenge you to do whatever you need to do to get in the right spot with God and also to get in the right spot with yourself, with your emotions, with your your psychological health. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I want to ask you to pray with me. If you're ready and you're sincere, pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. 
And I want to turn from my sins. I accept that you're God's son. That you died for me and arose for me. And Jesus, this morning, I surrender myself to you. Save me, Jesus. Let me have your attention. We're going to give our invitation in just a second. And I want you to respond to God today. You've got to help yourself. You've got to make right choices. When we stand, maybe you just prayed and asked Christ in your life. Or maybe you're ready to do that. When we stand, would you come this morning? And would you talk to one of these ministers and seal the deal with you and Jesus? Maybe you're here today and you're looking for a church church home. You need a church. You need a church to call your own. You need a place where you'll be loved in the dark and in the happy times of life. One way you can join this morning when we stand is you can come and a minister will help you with that. But do that today. Christian, maybe this morning... You want to just come to the altar and pray or pray with a minister? Let us love on you. Let us help you. Whatever it is you need to do.